Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 today, just a short text of three verses, verse 28, 29, and 30. Romans chapter 8 will be where we pause just this week and next week. Let me remind you, we'll finish up Romans 8 next week outside, and then we're going to pause. We're halfway through the book of Romans for the month of June, and we're going to talk about the importance of corporate worship, why we need to be together. Those of you that are joining us online, enjoy the comfort of your bathrobe for the last time, and I invite everyone to be together outside. Next week, we look forward to that. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Matt, and the rest of the team. Angela, and just switching out the little mics on that. Unbelievable, just coordination. There is uh, just, just several families that are going through some challenging times. We do need to spend a moment in prayer. I think of uh, Dave Muthler lost his mom uh, just this past week. Rhonda Lowen lost her mom. Um, the Greninger family, which we know in our community and has worshipped here uh, with the sudden passing um, of Sarah. And we just need to lift up those that are in need of prayer and encouragement. And it's on us to offer a cup of cold water to the thirsty. And there's thirsty souls amongst us. We need to continue to pray for Josh and Krista as they transition. And we are grateful for his diligence and faithfulness over the last five years. And we rejoice in that. Would you bow our heads and pray with me as we go to the Lord and just ask for help as we listen and learn together. Father, we thank you that, that as we just sang about, Jesus Christ is our living hope. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope. Apart from Jesus, there's no purpose. But we thank you, Lord, that in your gracious, sovereign will, you allow us to have access to you right now through the work and in the name of Jesus. And we come to you. We do pray, Lord, for peace and comfort for those that have lost loved ones especially. I think of those that are battling illness and sickness right now. I just pray for my, our dear brother, Mel Hesser, as he continues to just battle leukemia. We just pray, Lord, that you'd be close to him. Father, we just pray for Josh and Krista and the kids as they transition. Help us to be supportive and loving and encouraging. Thank you, Lord, that as I listen to both the testimonies of, of Rhonda's mom, of Dave's mom, that they both know you. And that although we are saddened to not have them here any longer, we do not wish them back away from your presence. That to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord when we know that our faith has been placed in you. And we thank you, Lord, for the testimonies of two faithful, godly women. We do pray, Lord, as we minister to the Greninger family as well. Or just give us, if not the right words, just give us a ministry of presence to be there alongside. And now with your word open before us, your spirit present within us, I pray. I plead that you would speak 
that you would be the focus and that we, your sons and daughters, would hear. And Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you, that has not received Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation. Please guard my mind and my mouth from saying anything, anything that would dishonor you. We love you. We thank you for your patience, your grace, your mercy, your love. And Lord, as we pause now, we thank you for your sovereignty. Help us to get a renewed glimpse of it today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. It's been a journey, the book of Romans. There's a lot here. Our primary objective, our goal has been to get a greater understanding of clear doctrinal and theological truth. The time for truth is now. I'm not exaggerating. I don't think that there's ever been a more important time in our lives for us to know what we believe and why we believe it. And Romans, just it just cuts to the core. First five chapters, we've looked at the incredible doctrine of justification. That's what, what has been made available to us when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous through the work and upon the work of Jesus. We looked at chapters 6 through the first part of chapter 8 on, on sanctification. That's, that's present. That's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Graciously and patiently just setting us apart and smoothing us even on those difficult, tough days to be more like Him. Romans chapter 8, the latter part, we have been dealing with this doctrine of glorification. This is what is to come, the, 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 the future work where finally we are made whole. We are made holy. We've talked about the fact that Romans 8 is like strolling through the supermarket of gospel blessings. It has given to us everything that we need to have, what, security and safety in our salvation. Just as Uncle Gene started, introduced, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, great news, there is therefore now no condemnation. And since that time, it has just been enjoyment and encouragement. Enjoyment and encouragement. All of Romans chapter 8, enjoyment and encouragement. And now we come, in a sense, to this perfect point of culmination in verse 28. And you've heard this before. All things work together for good to those who love God or call it according to his purpose. This, this idea that we'll look at talks about God effectually calling certain people based upon according to his good pleasure and his purpose. And we're going to be introduced to what is referred to, not just in theological terms, but in practical terms as the golden chain. And we'll see that in the latter parts. You'll see how this connects in verse 30. Let me direct your attention. The words will be in front of you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The word of the Lord. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In a world that is just swirling. People pivoting all over the place. Two points I want to give to you this morning, Lord willing, both of them encouraging. The first one is this, that we can be resting in God's sovereignty. Resting in God's sovereignty. It's, it's designed to be encouraging when the author intentionally begins with this, this little phrase, and it begins with this one word, and we know. First of all, we just love the word end. Because what does end indicate? There's more, right? We just talked with the little ones. That I'll have mercy upon them and I will remember their iniquities no longer. End is just something that we love. I'll take some ice cream and whipped cream on top of that. I'll take some whipped cream and a cherry on top of that. I'll take a cherry and some sprinkles. We just love the word end. And look at this. And we know. Now just pause for a moment. If I know something and then you know something, what does that mean? We. We know. It speaks of what? The fact that we are in agreement. We know something. We are in alignment. We're together. It speaks of unity. It speaks of oneness. These are incredibly important things that are needed for the church today because so much of what we hear is what? What he thinks he knows or what she wants everybody to know. What is this talking about? This is talking about the fact that what? We know. What do we know? It's a basic understanding that all Christians everywhere we know what they love god why romans chapter 5 verse 5 because he first loved us any christian if you call yourself a follower of jesus you have to be in love with god why because he loved us so much he offered his own son for us john chapter 3 verse 16 we will see this literally, literally like shouted from the rooftops in, in, in next week's text, in the latter part, latter verses of Romans chapter 8, when what? Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Those that love God have a confidence in what Tony Morita calls this, God's superintending sovereignty. What is, what is this subject about? This is the fact that in God's sovereignty, we know, I talk of this all the time, is the word reign, sovereign reign over everything and everyone. This means that what? Overarching. Every part of your life, every part of your body, overarching every breath you take, every heartbeat, every home represented, every family, Every circumstance, every day when we wake up, we walk out the door, we start the car, we, we walk across the street, we go to work, we go to school, and what? By God's grace, we return to place our heads on our pillows at night. God is overarching everything. Every word, 
every step, every breath. But we know something here. It is no secret. This is arguably the hardest doctrine for us to grasp. Harder than any other when we talk about the sovereignty of God. Why is it so hard? Because you and I know not everyone returns safely to put their head on their pillow at night. You understand? That's, that's why this is so hard for us. The reason that this is hard for us to kind of like in our finite human minds to grasp, to grab a hold of and hold tight is because of this one phrase. All things work together for good. When we know what? We know babies are born with a hole in their heart and they die before their first birthday. And we know what? Eight-year-old Kids get diagnosed with leukemia. And we know a young daddy gets killed in a car accident and leaves a widow with three kids under five years old. We know what, what, what exists around us. We know that children suffer abuse. We wrestle with this. Why? Because we know that diseases are real and suicide happens. And terrorists detonate themselves in crowded cafes and kids walk into schools and shoot other kids. We hear this phrase. All things work together for good. Now, I want you to note something very, very closely that the author is not saying. He's not saying all things are good. We know that. He's not saying, he's, he's not saying all things feel good. He's not saying that. He's saying what? They work together for good. Take a thread for a moment. I was going to have a thread, but you wouldn't see it anyway. Just pretend it's a thread here. You wouldn't see it. Take a thread for, in a sense, a piece of thread really isn't a lot. It makes no sense. It's a piece of thread unless it is what? It is woven together into a beautiful tapestry that is ornate and carefully designed and crafted by what the weaver and 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 it is hung on a wall and then what happens that then it's gorgeous it's gorgeous take one piece of broken colored glass it's not too impressive it's not that pretty to look at until what that one piece of broken colored glass is placed in a mosaic with a thousand other pieces that are shining and gleaming and reflecting and revealing the artist's skill. And that's breathtaking. Take, in a sense, what one, one brush stroke across the canvas isn't going to make a masterpiece. But each dip of the brush on the palette in every mo movement of the artist's hand is needed 
In order for what? Us to step back and to enjoy the beauty of what has been created. But, but it has never been promised that what God is doing is going to be easy. That it's going to feel good. Daniel Nauta handled a really challenging text last week. And he said this, and I quote, The will of God is not to make life more bearable in this world. The will of God is to reveal his glory through our obedience to him. You know, at some level, we've been, we've been, we've been sold a lie that, that God's will is to make your life like easy and light and fun and beautiful with like a cherry and sprinkles on top. Like, like that's not. God, God blesses. But it's in those moments that we're able to actually trust in God's sovereign will that the plan begins to make sense. The thread makes no sense. Job. Job. Righteous Job. He, he certainly did not enjoy losing his family. Just, just imagine, some of you here today, some of you listening, understand the pierce through the heart of what it is to lose a son or a daughter. Job felt that when he lost his family, his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his home. He lost his health. But it was because of that that he was actually able to step back and trust in the power and the glory of God that was going to be revealed so much so that he actually states, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, just th think for a moment. Do you speak like that? When Doc says, yeah, we got the test back, and it does not look good. When, when a spouse walks in and says, I'm out. I'm done. So you see, Job, Job didn't enjoy, but he, he demonstrated something in his righteousness. Joseph didn't enjoy being what? What, picked on and abused by his older brothers? He didn't enjoy the fact that he was falsely accused. Lies spread about him. And he was locked up in prison for, what, seven years? He didn't enjoy it. It wasn't fun. It didn't feel good. But it was later on as he spoke to his brothers that what we know in Genesis chapter 50 is for you, you, you guys, you meant evil against me. Very obvious. But God meant it for good. God meant it for good. All things work together for good. And, and Joseph uses that exact word. God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You, you see, he's, the thread makes no sense. But stepping back, he begins to see. Jesus didn't laugh away the pain and the torment of feeling the sheer weight of his father's wrath. 
as he bore your sins and my ugliness on himself. Jesus didn't laugh away the scorn of people spitting in his face and the scorn of people's laughter. Jesus didn't laugh away the fact that his flesh was being filleted by Roman soldiers with their whips and their lashes. But we know, we know for certain, we know what through that, that Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You begin to see, we focus so much on this that God's like, no, 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 my sovereignty is you got to step back. Trust me with this. Dr. Curtis Alexander Seminary Covenant Seminary says this, and I quote, Suffering helps us understand that a perfect future is in our future. If there was no suffering now, then what's the purpose? Suffering helps us understand that a perfect future is in our future. He continues on, the perfect future we all want can only happen as the redeeming power of Christ becomes more active in our lives. Suffering proves Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. Whether our need is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, or social, Jesus is the answer. You see, what happens Why we're stuck in our own misery of I can't believe that God allows bad things to happen to good people. What is happening is what we're not allowing the redeeming power of Christ to become active in our lives. And we've got to step back. We've got to see this. And these are texts and times to remind us of that. Because there is pain and suffering all over the place. Suffering is not easy, but it is for a purpose. And what is happening here? The, the artist is at work. The craftsman is carefully fitting and placing every single tear, every single hardship and heartache, every pain, every He's placing them for the work that he's doing. Two hours, two hours. I spent with a brother in the Lord on Friday afternoon, and we, we talked about God's sovereignty. And we come away with, you know, I don't fully understand it and neither do you, but it, it has to be a reminder for us to trust like never before. Because apart from that, it, 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 it can't work, in, work. I left you with a quote from John R.W. Stott. Romans 8.28 is surely one of the best known texts of the Bible. On it, believers of every age and place have stayed their minds. It has been likened to a pillow on which to rest our weary heads. People, those of you that are facing something right now that makes no sense, those of you that are facing something right now that the pain is cutting far deeper than you ever would have hoped or ever would expect it, this is the promise that we rest our weary heads on. All things, all things aren't good. All things don't feel good. But all things work together, all things work together for good. 
Number one, we are to be resting in God's sovereignty. Secondly, we're to be trusting in our salvation and what has been offered to us. We're trusting in our salvation. Now, we have before us in verses 29 and 30, in many ways, a summation. It's kind of gathering all of the loose ends together about what we've talked about, what we've taught on recently. And we look at not just the work, but I would refer to it as the works of God. And as it is revealed, it's very, very evident that what? Salvation is a work of God and not man. This is where you remove yourself from your little baby throne, Chandler talks about. That, that God is the one who is at work when it comes to salvation. He's the author of this, not man. The final two verses of our text is referred to, like I introduced, as the golden chain of salvation. Now think for a moment about a chain and links, comprised of many links, each connected together. Separate the links from a chain for a moment, and it's, it's like the thread. It doesn't make much sense. Here's a link. What are you going to do with that? But working together, the chain is what? Revealing to us this order. And the, the, the Apostle Paul digs deeper into God's sovereign calling in a believer's life in order to explain how God draws people unto himself. And it reveals the order of which what? Sinners are saved. I've heard it described that God is the subject in each case. Grounding the Christian certainty in the continuity of God's actions. Which means God is the subject. He foreknows, he predestines, he calls, he justifies, he glorifies. God is the subject but it grounds us with a certainty in the continuity of God's actions. What are we seeing here from start to finish? Jonah talked about this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And he begins here with this first link in the chain. God, God foreknew. Now right there, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. So what happens is we look at this from a human perspective. This is not the way that we, in our human understanding, would pick or choose. I like that guy's sneakers. You can come. Yeah, I like that. You come. Yeah, her hair, bad hair day. You just stay over there. Like that's, that's in a sense, we like and we dislike. You, you can come. No, 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 stop. Okay. It's not like that. It's, it's not God in a human understanding, but rather it's God's personal intimate knowledge of individual people god's design think of this is to set his love on his children you could almost use it as god foreknew and and i know this is a a a, a bit of a a bit of a stretch but there's an intimacy to this knowing adam knew his wife there's an intimacy that you could, in a sense, God, what, foreknew, God foreloved. He's setting his love on his own children. I've heard some say that the, this verse could be reasonably translated to say those whom he foreloved, those whom he knew in a personal, intimate, redemptive sense from all of eternity, he predestined. It speaks of God's decision to set his love on 
you, on his saints. God foreknew, but it also says that God predestined. And this is where people are like, I want to get off this boat right here. Let me out. This just doesn't seem fair. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. It's the word in Greek, proezo. It means to decide beforehand, to appoint, to determine, and to designate. The sovereign action relates to God's purpose of, and here's the word, election. It means that what? As Ephesians, and it's explained in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the worlds, that his own children... His sons and daughters would be conformed to his own image. It speaks back of Genesis in chapter 1, verse 27. God knew what was going to happen in Genesis chapter 3. God knew all about the fall. God knew what? About us being marred in the muck and the mire of sin, and yet he still offers a plan to rescue, to redeem, and to reconcile us unto himself so that we can enjoy the glorious promises that are to come. It doesn't, it doesn't contradict, it actually complements what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3. God is not willing that any should perish, right? We hear that. This doesn't contradict that. It complements in context. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his purpose, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What did God do when he created us in his own image? He did not create robots. You will do this. You will love me. But he graciously offers himself to everyone so that they may be loved. And he patiently, patiently, patiently waits. You know what happens? Some reject. In our home group, we're finishing up and we're going through the book of Revelation. Wow. And what's interesting is that in all of these seasons of destruction with seals and trumpets and bowls, there's, there's moments where everything stops. It's silence and there's opportunity for people to come. Even in the midst of what? We know that that's the very, very end as, as everything comes to a culmination of, of preparing for the second coming. Even in those moments of absolute catastrophe, everything stops. Please come, please come. The longer you wait, what? The more painful it oftentimes becomes. And we know that. God didn't create us as robots, forced, programmed to love him. He simply allowed what? His love to be offered so we can graciously accept that. Patient but yet some still reject. This is very important for us as a local church. This is very important for us as a local church. Why? Because you have, you have names in your prayer journals and on your list. You're praying for certain people and you see their face right now in front of you. And I'm pleading, Lord, please draw them unto yourself. And God hears those prayers. And he's not, he's not what's willing that anyone should perish. Does not mean that every single person will accept, some will reject. But we hold on to this as a local church. Because we see 
God's everlasting love placed on them. Therefore, we too, what, in, in, in the image of God, we're to love like God loves. We're to serve like God loves and give and worship with God's heart in mind. And understand, this is totally hard for us to grasp. But it should never ever be us asking, why is it that God chose me? But rather, why is it that God chose anyone when we all deserve, as Romans chapter 3 says? The wages of sin is death. Why did God choose anyone? But it says that he called. Those who love God have been summoned. To become recipients of God's salvation. This is what is referred to as God's effectual call. It will have effect. This will result in salvation. This is not a general call that goes out to everyone with the preaching of the word of God. How will they hear unless someone's preaching to them? That's why this moment is important for us. This is... The call that will result. It will have effect. Totally different than what happens when I call people. Or maybe when you call people. I, I call people all the time. A lot of times they don't even answer. I, I call people when I preach all the time. Come, come. I invite them. Please come. We're like outside. And like the sun is shining. It's beautiful. Hear the good news. I invite people. I call people to listen. Close your mouth. I've told people, just close your mouth and listen. I call people to that. You got to believe this. Trust this. Obey this. Repent from this. Confess this. And I'm reminded every single call that I make, I am certainly not divine. That I have what? I, I am not all-knowing. My job is to be faithful to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with clarity and conviction. And you know what? Step out of the way. That's what my call is. That's what my responsibility is, is to present this and move out of the way so the people hear God's voice and not my voice. Thus the reason, and some of you have asked this question, why is it that he doesn't give like 27 altar calls and we just repeat just as I am over and over again to kind of get someone to what have an emotional response of coming and being in tears. I'm, I'm not going to bug people, sorry. Pray for you and plead. But I'm not going to stand up and try to, to bother you, coerce you, or force you. The buses will be waiting. Just one more verse to kind of emote something. Just so what? You guys can go home. I'm not going to do that. But I will preach and present truth. And move out of the way. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Thus the importance of your responsibility right now. To be hearing. And you're, you're hearing not the voice of a man. God knows, not the voice of a man you've come to hear. You are to hear God pleading for your own soul because of what he has in store for you. Why? Because there's a thread, one more day, that is being woven into a beautiful tapestry.
God justifies. We've spent a lot of time, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, 3, 4, 5. First five chapters, we talked on the doctrine of justification. Closely connected to God's sovereignty in salvation. Those whom God calls are justified. Declared righteous or declared right. Although what? We are bruised. We are black and blue as a result of our own sin. God still declares us right in his presence as a holy God. Back a couple chapters in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What has been revealed to us in the last 15, 16 months? That there are those in this world that have peace, and there are those in this world that have no peace. You realize that, in a sense, has what has been revealed. Because a believer who understands that I am, I am adopted, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the Most High God, and he is what... He's allowing circumstances that are miserable all around us because we trust his overarching sovereignty to be at work in our lives in an amazing display of his glory and his might and his power and his authority. We've been justified by faith and we have peace. Some of you right now are living in panic as opposed to peace. And I'm wondering if you're not allowing the redeeming power of Jesus to work in your life. God promises as there's another, what, link in the chain to justify. And finally, it says that God glorifies. Those whom he has chosen will experience glorification. This is full, okay? Finished. First-hand perfection. As a result of us being adopted, we are heirs of God. You can be assured when we sit and we read. And I encourage you to do this. Be, be familiar with the last couple chapters of the Bible. Revelation 19 and 20, 21 and 22. Where we get a little bit of a glimpse as to what is going to be in store for us. Where it says that there's no need for light. Because the lamb is the lamp. One of my favorite phrases in all of scripture. There's no need for light because the lamb is the lamp. And it's in that moment that you and I will see for the very first time. With eyes that are totally glorified in that moment, then we will finally be able to behold. Behold. Now we see through a mirror dimly, but in that moment of glorification. All of this, all of this, God's saving actions form an unbreakable chain, a golden chain of salvation so what do we do with this this morning you fall into one of two categories number one if you are here and you are a believer you've acknowledged that you are a sinner in need of a savior and the only savior in this world is the lord jesus christ then this morning what you do in response is you thank the lord for being patient with you and graciously calling you unto himself and worship and adore him more today than yesterday. 
That's what we do. That's how we apply this text. We adore him more. Or else what? You're here this morning and you are not a believer. Up to this moment, you have heard, you have heard, you have heard, and you have rejected it. I think I got this figured out on my own. I think I know what's happening. No, you don't know what's happening. You don't have a clue what tomorrow is going to hold. If you are here this morning, you are unbeliever, then at this very moment, you say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you pray to accept what is being offered. You have heard what the call go out from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And you accept his love, and you accept his forgiveness. You accept the promise that we gave to those little ones. I will remember your sins no more. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate. And then finally, what for all of us? We've accepted God's call together as a church. This is what we, this is the beauty of we. Not you and, and me, it's we. Together as a church, we what? Are not only to be reminded, but reinvigorated to tell others of God's perfect plan. The masterpiece that he is painting to rescue and redeem those who are in need of good news. And you remind them, today you remind them, the promise that you have learned about, that we know this. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Father, we need your help. We need your help to live in a way, Lord, that brings delight and praise to your name. We just cannot do it. I cannot do it in my own strength. None of us can. But Father, we are reminded of what you are doing in our midst, what you have done by offering your own son and Father, I just pray that today as people hear the call from you, that they would receive. Those of us that are questioning or doubting your sovereignty, that we would have a renewed faith, refreshed re in our minds to continue to pray for those that are rejecting, that they would be drawn to you knowing and certain of your love for them. Give us strength. Give us resilience. Give us your power. Give us faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.